You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning. Morning. Welcome. Hey, if I don't know you, my name is Thor. Um, I'm often up at the Pittsburgh Mills location, so I don't get to see all of you too often, but I help out um, with the student ministry here, next to student ministry, and so that's kind of where I fit in here, and I'm excited to be here in Oakmont with you this morning to share with you. We're continuing um, in our September to September yearly theme of All In, and uh, this month, as we're kicking off the new year, the uh, Happy New Year, we're looking at this theme of Happy New You. Get it? Yeah. All right. I thought so. Um, so, listen, today, as we're kicking this off, you might want to pull out your Riverside Community Church app uh, and follow along in there. This would be an especially good morning to do that, just in the Today tab. You can look through the notes, uh, because we are looking at a very broad theme that kind of spans all of Scripture, and we're going to be looking at a bunch uh, of different passages and kind of tying them together, so it might be easy for you to have all of that at, right at your fingertips this morning. Um, I hope that you had a really wonderful Christmas this week. How many of you have already taken down your decorations? The Grinches in the room. <laughs> the, the bah humbugs. Listen, how ma- so how many of you have them still up? The tree's still up, lights are twinkling. Yes, the Christmas spirit lives on. Listen, we still have ours up at our house. And by our house, I mean my parents' house. I still live at home. Um, and this year, I think we had the greatest Christmas tree that we've ever had. Now, the world out there will tell you that the best Christmas tree is triangular, just like that. I say don't listen to them. Our Christmas tree, I've loved it so much. It is, can you throw the picture up? It is perfectly round, perfectly round. It is honestly, it's as wide as it is tall. It's a perfect sphere. We call it our Christmas bush. Um, more than a Christmas tree. I, I don't even know if you can tell in the picture. It is the most huggable Christmas tree that we've ever had at our house. It looks great. My little sister, Bridget, she strung together um, cranberries and popcorn to make like a garland all the way around it, put the lights on, the angel on top. It looked beautiful. Love it. It's my favorite one so far. And there, there came a time we had it for about like a week, and then we had to move it from, from one spot to another place, like through a doorway and everything. And so my dad and I, we like tipped it over onto its side, which it's still the same dimensions on its side, interestingly enough. And uh, we got it, you know, on a sheet or whatever, and we got to move it. And I was like, man, this feels light. And as we like pulled it through the doorway, there's like needles falling off. And it was one of those moments where it was like, dad, have you been watering the tree? And he was like, well, have you been watering the tree? <laughs> and no one had watered it the whole time we had it. Thankfully, thankfully, we were able to resuscitate the tree by adding some more water and bring it back from the brink of death. But no matter how many lights we put on the outside, no matter how many decorations and you know, ornaments we throw on the outside of the tree, it's still dying on the inside without water. And even if we water it, how long will it last? It doesn't have solid root structure. It's not truly a living, thriving tree, no matter how much you throw on the outside, no matter how good it looks, no matter how perfectly spherical and huggable it is on the outside, it's dying on the inside. And it works the other way around, too. As we uh, just kicked off first day of winter, um, and we're moving through this winter season, you look out at the trees around, and most of them 
the, the leaves have fallen off, the color has drained out, they look dead. They look like skeletons of trees. But what you don't see is on the inside, they're living, they're growing, and they're nurturing themselves. They're, there's nutrients that are running up and down the trunk from this vibrant root structure and this internal life that's going on in the tree while we're in the winter season. And that's kind of the, the perfect illustration for what we're doing this month. We're looking, uh, we're kind of turning from the outward signs and the outward things of growth and uh, maturity and faith, and we're looking more at the inward angle of things. Um, and we're looking at what it takes to feed yourself on the inside, uh, to nurture your faith, to find satisfaction, meaning, wholeness, love, rest, and safety, all the things that we need. And, and this morning in particular is kind of an introduction to all of that. It's an intro to our whole series, and the theme verse is, love the Lord your God with all your soul. With all your soul. That's, that's a tricky word. The kind of guiding question for this whole series and the guiding question for this morning is what is the soul and what does it need? What is the soul? What does it need? What are we talking about when we say soul? And how do we care for our souls? And this is a, a really pertinent question for anyone, no matter where you find yourself this morning, religious, irreligious, spiritual or not. I think this is a, a good question to think about and to ponder. What is the soul? What does it need? So would you pray with me as we begin this morning? Father, as we turn to your word this morning, I pray that you would shape us and change us by what uh, you, your word says. Would you grow us, challenge us, move us, push us? Would you give us new insight and understanding? Would you um, just have your way in us through what your word says? Equip us and empower us to do what you would have us to do and to live in your will. In your son's name we pray, amen. Amen. So, as I said, this theme, it kind of spans the entirety of the Bible. It, it's a big, broad theme, and we're going to pick it up uh, right on page two of Scripture. We're looking at Genesis chapter two uh, and verse seven. There's this very interesting verse that tells us a lot about the idea of soul. Genesis two, verse seven, it says, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. So here, here we have a very physical image of dirt, of this idea of we have physical bodies that come from the earth. We are physical creatures, um, a physical body. And then it says, and it breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So now there's this idea of, of God's animating spirit that breathes something new, something different into this physical body, something that animates, something that brings life, something that even goes beyond just biological life, but a real personhood and identity and selfness that gets breathed into humanity. And then it says, and the man became a living being, a living being. Now that word being, um, is, is an English translation of the, the Hebrew scriptures. In Hebrew, the word is nefesh, nefesh, which is a fascinating word. You can do your own study on the word nefesh and what that means and all the ways that it's used. Um, but basically, the idea is of a total being, a total self. It's physical, it's mental, emotional, it's spiritual. It's all wrapped up into one self that's called a being, and that's the word nefesh, and it's often translated as soul. 
in different places. There's a lot of uh, different nuances of meaning to nefesh, and one of the words that is used to translate it is soul. So a- according to the biblical authors, what is a soul? You are a soul. You are a soul. You in your entirety, your physical body, the, everything that's spiritual, that's emotional, mental, all, everything about you, the material and the immaterial, the seen and the unseen, kind of woven together in this inseparable union. That is you. That is a soul. That is what we are together. And it's all bound together by the Spirit of God that, that holds us together in this beautiful creation. That's a pretty cool image, actually, of what a soul is. And along with that, if, uh, if you look at the surrounding context of this verse in the, in the first few chapters, we get this picture of the Garden of Eden. And in this Garden of Eden, humanity is at peace, at peace with God, at peace with each other, at peace with all of creation, at peace with, within the self. There is a peace and a right relationship that exists there. As uh, people did, uh, as Adam and Eve did, the gardening of continuing God's creative work. And uh, as they did that and were the image of God, it just, it's a picture of all these relationships working together and at peace. Everything good and the way that it should be. And that is an important, important image. And uh, if you've read this story before, or maybe even if you haven't, you probably know how it ends. <laughs> it doesn't turn out well. Humanity rebels against God. Humanity is in rebellion, and you and I are in rebellion against God. And we choose to go our own way, choose to do our own thing, and essentially choose to live in exile from the Garden of Eden. We choose to live uh, separated from that peace and that right relationship with who God is, right relationship with each other, with all of creation, with ourselves. And a funny thing happens within that exile, and I think you can recognize this too, is that all of a sudden it's it's almost like we're at odds with ourselves and our very nature of being spiritual and physical. We as human beings, we find it weird <laughs> that we're spiritual. We find it weird that we're physical. We find it funny that we're physical beings. Um, Adam and Eve, you know, they made clothes for themselves, realizing that they're naked. Like, what other animal knows that it's naked and finds it weird or shameful? It's, it's just a unique thing. We find it, somehow we find it surprising that we grow old and age and deteriorate. It's something that seems off about that and weird. And it, it is this feeling of living in exile that we're not at peace with our very selves. We're not at peace and at unity with who we are as a nefesh, as a soul, as a being. And that whole, that picture of the whole is now, it's fractured. It's not totally whole and at peace. And that fracture is what a lot of the book of Ecclesiastes focuses on. Now, Ecclesiastes uh, is a book that's basically a collection of teachings from this dude who is just known as the teacher, the teacher. And the teacher, uh, he was really familiar with the wisdom of the day. He was familiar with Proverbs, with how to do the right thing and live the right way, and this idea that when you do the right thing, things will go your way. When you um, do all the right stuff, you know, all the right things happen to you and everything goes well and perfectly. And, but he also looked out at the world and he says, well, what do we do when that's not the case? What do we do and when we do the right thing and we get fired for it? When we do the right thing and it doesn't go well for us, when we do the wise thing 
and our lives are shorter or less happy because of it. Well, how do we handle that fracture? How do we handle that uh, discontinuity? And that's basically what the entire book of Ecclesiastes is about. And the, the particular passage that we're zooming in on this morning is, uh, is very relevant for our discussion today. We're looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verses 3 through 6 um, to start. Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 3. Now it says this, A man might have a hundred children and live to be very old, but if he finds no satisfaction, no satisfaction in life, and doesn't even get a decent burial, or if he's not remembered well, has a good legacy, isn't thought fondly of by the people that knew him and that he leaves behind. In other words, if he lives a surface-level kind of life, if he does these things, it would have been better for him to be born dead. Whoa. That's dark, and it's about to get darker. His birth would have been meaningless, and he would have ended in darkness. He wouldn't even have had a name, and he would never have seen the sun or known of its existence. Yet, he would have had more peace than in growing up to be an unhappy man. He might live a thousand years twice over, but still not find contentment. And since he must die like everyone else, well, what's the use? Whew. Man, if, if you thought that the Bible was just a collection of cheery sayings and platitudes that you can frame and hang on your wall or get a tattoo of to make you feel better and feel nice and warm inside, <laughs> man, maybe take it off the shelf and crack it open and give it a read because it's so much deeper and richer than that. The Bible, man, it's a collection of all these complex literary works written over uh, a thousand years by dozens of different authors with rich, full meanings playing off each other and building on ideas and concepts. And this is one of those moments where one of those authors takes uh, a very critical eye and looks at these ideas and comes to very interesting conclusions. And it's a little bit depressing <laughs> and a little bit dark, but sometimes that's the way that life is. And so the writer of Ecclesiastes wraps it all up and, and, and puts a bow on this idea in verse 7. It's a great conclusion. He says, everyone's toil is for their mouth, yet their appetite is never satisfied. Man, think about that. No matter how hard we work, no matter how hard we try, there's something in us that just can't be satisfied with the, the things of this world with striving for the money, the possessions, the stuff that we all like to strive for, the things that the world says, do this, this is good, uh, toil away, work for your life to amass more of this. And there's something in us that just says, I, I'm not satisfied with that. That's not enough. It can never be satisfied by that, no matter how hard we work. And uh, honestly, the, today we have you know, so much more of that stuff than the writer of Ecclesiastes could have even imagined. Like, imagine, you know, him thinking, if you told him we're, we wake up every day and take a hot shower, mind blown. That's better than royalty lived at the time. There's a grocery store right down the street. Wow, we have entertainment at our fingertips at all times. So much comfort and everything that we could want, but we're still not happy. There's still that unsatisfied thing inside of us. The soul has an insatiable appetite it cannot be satisfied by the things that we try and satisfy it with. 
There is, there's a desire in us, a longing in us that is desperate for something more, something bigger, something more meaningful. And uh, C.S. Lewis, probably my favorite author, um, he had a lot to say about this, and he wrote uh, in The Weight of Glory, he has some interesting words on this idea of this longing and this desire that we have for something more that can't be satisfied. He says we get a picture of it, a little taste of it, when we see something truly beautiful, when we uh, hear music that, that moves us, or when we read a book that is um, stirring, or we have some childhood memory that just really touches us. And he says we get, we get a small taste of that longing, that desire, that um, bittersweet flavor of something greater. And this is his quote. He says that those things, they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. What is it? What is it that we're hungry for? What is it that we're longing for, that we desire? What is that thing that the soul hungers for? I tell you, the, the book of Psalms drips with this language. It's all over the book. It's a, a collection of songs and poetry written over a long period of time. It's right in the center of your Bible. If you open up in there, you'll find the book of Psalms. And I just picked out a couple random verses just to highlight this idea that's all throughout. Psalm 42 verse 1 says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul, my nephesh, thirsts for God the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Psalm 63, 1. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being, my nephesh, longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water, where there's no satisfaction out there. I'm thirsting for God. The soul is hungry for God. We long for for God, to be filled by him, to know him, to be in right relationship with him, to be at peace with him. We long for the garden, that garden picture of being at peace, being whole, being in right relationship with God, and because of that, being at right relationship with each other, with all of creation, the animal's nature, being at right relationship with ourselves. That's the thing that we're craving. That's the thing that we're all desiring for, whether we know it or not. We're longing for this exile to end. And Jesus said something really poignant, really awesome in the book of John. Um, some of his disciples brought him some food because he'd been teaching all day uh, and they thought he might be hungry, brought him some food. And he said, I I've got food that you don't know about. And they're like, what, did somebody pack him a lunch? Like, did somebody bring it while we weren't looking? What's he talking about? Jesus says, no, <laughs> no, listen, listen to me. My food, John 4, 34, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. The thing that sustained him, the thing that took, gave him energy to keep going, the thing that drove him forward, the thing that he worked for is to do the will of his Father, to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. And that's a tall order for us. Man, to do the will of the Father and to finish his work, for that to be our food, that is a difficult thing. And in fact, it would be impossible. It's only possible. It's only possible because of what Jesus has done for us. See, here's, here's a crazy thing. Crazy thing. Jesus taught that he was going to make 
a new heaven and a new earth. That's the big future plan that we look forward to. It's incredible. A new creation where everything is good and everything is in right relationship with itself, with him, with us, where everything will be good and perfect and whole again. And that is crazy. That's really crazy. It gets crazier. He said that if we put our trust in him, if we stop trusting on what we can do to work to get there, but put our faith in him, alone and follow him and say, God, Jesus, you are king of my life. I'm living for you. He said that even death can't stop that plan because when he makes everything new and whole and right again, he will resurrect us from the dead, his followers, to live again. And that garden ideal of physical and spiritual being in unity and perfect and working together like it should will come into be. And he promises that death can't stop that, that we will be raised to new bodily life. And that's crazy. That is crazy, and it's awesome. And it gets better still. See, Jesus, as God in flesh, becoming a human being, uh, incarnate in the flesh, becoming physical, Jesus, as he died on the cross and he was raised from the dead, that act, the crucifixion, is where the new creation begins to bleed into the world as it is. That one act of the crucifixion is where new creation starts and spreads. And that is what he died and rose again for, is to initiate that. And he says that if we put our trust in him, we put our faith in him and follow him, he invites us to take part in that kingdom of God. And that even now, even now as we call on him, that new life, that new creation that is to come can live through us, that we can be the places as his church, as his people, we can be the place where the kingdom of heaven bleeds into the kingdom of this world. And that is crazy. That is crazy and is what we believe. And it's awesome. And it's what Jesus taught. That's the hope that we look forward to. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. He invites us to be the place where spiritual and physical intermesh and are at peace again. The very beginning, the first fruits of the new creation and the resurrection that is to come. Amen. That is awesome. Yeah, that's worth applauding. My goodness. The thing this morning, the thing this morning that I want to leave us with as we ponder that and the incredible story of uh, the garden and the exile and the return that we're living as a part of, the thing is to feed the whole, feed the whole being, because we can't forget. It's easy to forget and just look at the physical and see the things that our eyes see and say, this is it. This is all we're living for. And that would be a depressing thing to look at. But don't forget that you are a whole being. You are more than just physical. You are spiritual as well. This whole being. Feed the whole. So nourish yourself and strive to feed your whole self. Don't just strive after the things of this world, the material goods. Don't just strive and toil to feed your mouth, for that appetite will never be satisfied. Strive to feed your soul, strive for God, to follow in his ways, to follow in his path, and to truly find that satisfaction and to live for him, to work hard at it. 
So I, I wanted this to be in a, a challenging word this morning, uh, a challenging thing to, to stop uh, looking only at the things of this world and striving and toiling after the things that our culture says are good and that you should spend your life working for, but to have an eye to the spiritual as well. So I want it to be challenging and, and mush, pushing and moving, but also want it to be encouraging this morning and a, a word full of peace for you this morning. Um, Matthew in the book of Matthew, chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus says something that is it's so good and it's rich, and it brings me so much peace to read it. He said this. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. The yoke is the thing that an animal puts on its shoulders to, to pull the plow. Take my yoke, my ways, my teachings, Upon you to do my work and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Worship team, you can make your way back to the stage. Are you weary? Are you burdened and weighed down by the things that the world says you need to be striving after and working for? Do you find yourself weighed down by toiling for your mouth, though your appetite is never satisfied? Do you find yourself um, weighed down by all the pain and the wrong that is in this world around us? Jesus says to come to him, follow his ways, learn his teachings, live them out, and you will find rest. Because honestly, living for him is so much easier. We can't do it on our own, but living for him with his help is so much easier than trying to to wring meaning and satisfaction out of the machinery of a dog-eat-dog -dog world that we live in. It's so much easier to come to Jesus, to lay down our pride at his feet and say, Jesus, teach me how to live. I'm all in for you. I'm seeking after you. I want the power of your peace, your reconciliation. I want to work for that, and I want to bring that to the world that I see around me that desperately desperately needs it. The question this morning that I want to leave us with, pondering, thinking about, as we look forward to this uh, upcoming series about the soul, the question is, how will I work to feed the whole, the whole being? How will I work to do that? How will you work to acknowledge and to live in the power that of knowing that you are not just physical, you're not just dirt that's going to go back to being dirt at the end of your life, but you are spiritual, mental, emotional, a, a total being, a nefesh, knit together, held together by the Spirit of God, and He wants to make you even more whole. Because it, we feel at odds with ourselves, we feel at odds with the world, we know that there's something fractured and wrong. But Jesus, His kingdom, is bringing peace and reconciliation and wholeness back to that. So how are you working towards that to feed the whole? How are you working to learn the teachings of Jesus and follow his ways? Are you exhausting yourself? Am I exhausting myself, worrying, stressing, working for my physical needs to earn that much more, to have that much more, to provide for my family that much more stuff? Is that what I'm toiling for? Or do I have my eye on the kingdom of God? 
and the whole that really exists. And don't, please don't hear me saying that the physical is bad. That's not what I'm saying at all. Physical is, is not bad. It's a part of God's good creation, but it's easy to miss the rest when we just see the physical because it's easy to only see the physical. But God's plan is the reunion of the physical and the spiritual, of earth and heaven, back together, back to a whole. So don't miss out on that. Keep your eye on the whole and work to embody that. And there is power and peace and grace that is available in that. So what's the next step for you? How can you shift your focus to see the big picture, the whole? How can you be a part of God's incredible plan to bring those two things back together, to let the spiritual bleed out into the physical world through his people, to be the place where the new creation has begun to come as we await his recreation of everything? How can I be what I need to be for the kingdom of God. What's the next step? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you even now? And how can you help the people around you to do this as well? Those who know Jesus and those who might not, how can you help them to see the power and the goodness of this way of God that is holistic and full of peace and life and goodness? Would you pray with me? Father, We know it's easy to miss out on what you are doing in the world. We know it's easy to get caught up in the day-to-day, in the bland and the the unspiritual things, God. We pray that you would help us to mesh this world, the physical world that we live in, the things that we see, and that we would see your hand at work in it, that we would see how your spirit is at work in the physical world, how your spirit is at work in us, how we are souls, God. Would you bring wholeness and healing to the people in this room? God, for the person here who has never experienced this, who has never tasted the goodness of knowing you, I pray that you would give them the courage, whether or not they even think that you're real, the courage to reach out to you in prayer and to say, Jesus, forgive me for trying to be this, for trying to be whole, for trying to be good on my own. I've failed. I've been in rebellion against you. Forgive me, God. Accept me just as I am in your grace. God, I want to live for you and I want to follow your plan and your purpose for me. I pray, God, that you would give people in this room the courage to speak that prayer this morning and to um, begin the life change that you have for them. God, I pray for a person who is here who has been living for you, God, but it's hard. It's hard. We're easily distracted people by the things we see around us. It's easy to dismiss the whole picture, God, to dismiss the bigger things, the deeper things that are going on. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the way you would see. You would give us the courage and the wisdom and the power and the filling of your spirit to be the place where heaven breaks through into earth. God, would you help us to do that today? In your son's name, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.